Welcome to the Be Your Best Self podcast. My name is Becky Taylor and I'm a transformational coach dedicated to helping every individual to become and continue to be the very best version of themselves possible. Each week I'm so incredibly lucky to have the opportunity to chat with people who have been massively influential in my life in the hope that their knowledge can in some way benefit you on your journey of transformation from who you were yesterday to who you dream of being tomorrow. On this episode, I have Ali Zek from Kansas joining me. And Ali's story, which she's going to share with us today, is one of the most incredible stories of recovery from mental illness that I have ever heard. Ali was first diagnosed with bulimia and overexercise when she was at college. And this was the beginning of a horrific 20 plus years of struggling with mental illness, going on and off medications, several suicide attempts, and extended stays in hospital and psychiatric facilities. Ali then experienced a week of what she can only explain as pure hell, coming from Xanax withdrawals. And following on from this, she hit rock bottom with a final unsuccessful suicide attempt that then resulted in a diagnosis of bipolar disorder. After this final diagnosis and a new platter of medication being poured into Ali's body, her husband began looking for a permanent facility to admit her to for long-term care. At the same time, though, Ali was referred to holistic psychiatrist Dr. Kelly Brogan based in New York, and through Kelly's work is where I first came across Ali. I watched an interview between the two where Ali shared her story of struggle, and I spent the whole time in tears. Having experienced mental illness myself for quite some years, my heart was so touched, but what was even more moving was her journey of recovery. By making some simple lifestyle changes, Removing a few things from her diet and healing past trauma, Ali is now 100% medication-free and has completely turned her life around. So much so, in fact, Ali is now a health coach for Dr. Kelly Brogan's Vital Mind Reset Program, where she helps others struggling with mental illness to create healthy change in their lives. I feel so much admiration for Ali's strength, courage, and determination to go against all odds, take full responsibility of her own health and ultimately heal herself, mind, body and spirit. Ali is incredibly passionate about sharing her story now to inspire and support others in their recovery of psychiatric drugs and mental illness by making lifestyle changes. Ali believes that if she's able to help someone else, then the pain she and her family have endured for over two decades was well worth it. I was so grateful when Ali agreed to share her story on this podcast And if you or anyone you know have experienced or are still struggling with mental illness, then this episode is going to be a game changer. Let's not waste any more time and welcome Ali Zek to the show. Hi, Ali. Thank you so much for being open to chatting today. I'm so excited and grateful for you to share your experience with mental illness with us. And I have no doubt all of our listeners will be so incredibly moved and inspired by your story. Before we get started, though, I like to ask all of my guests a question. And the reason for this is I find so many of my coaching clients terrified of allowing themselves to do this one thing and almost even more afraid of other people seeing them do it. And that one thing, believe it or not, is crying. So if you feel comfortable, of course, would you mind sharing with our listeners when the last time was that you cried and why? 
Oh, okay. Well, um, hmm. I, um, I don't really cry often, actually. Uh, I think it's you know, very, very healing to cry. And really, what I've come to learn, uh, I never came from a family that really shamed you for crying. I know a lot of people do. So I was allowed to show my feelings. It's just my mom and dad didn't do a good job of helping me cope with my feelings, if that makes sense. I kind of see crying now as, as moving energy, um, shifting energy. So I, I cried yesterday, I think, and it's because there's just a lot of um, a lot of shifting going on in my family um, and in my personal life, and a lot of grief with me and my kids. I'm going through some pretty traumatic experiences, so that's what that's what we're. But it's making us all, you know, very close. Um, but that's the last time that I cried about something. Oh, thank you so much for sharing. I appreciate mm-hmm. that. Firstly, I'd just really love to have our listeners get a good understanding of what the past 20 years has been like for you from the point in time, I suppose, that you were diagnosed with mental illness, what you were diagnosed with at the time, the treatment you were offered, and what your journey's been like then from where to, to where you are now. Okay. Um, yeah, it started out, uh, I like to go back to my childhood because I feel like there's a definite, um, you know, family of origin kind of dysfunction that, that led me to where I am today, which I will say that I see today, even after all the tremendous pain I've been through, I do feel like there is an opportunity. This has been, you know, all for a reason. I, you know, I just grew up in a family where it was just kind of just chaos and very, very disorganized, and very scary and overwhelming to me. And so I spent most of my time kind of just trying to create structure out of chaos, organizing drawers. You know, organizing cupboards, things like that. Um, in the town that I grew up in, when I went to school, I was a, a really big fish in a little pond. And then when I went to school, you know, reverse it, and I was a little tiny fish in a big pond. I felt very overwhelmed, probably really insecure. Um, and I, I think I converted that structure, needing to control things, into managing my weight. And I had never been overweight, but I really saw that as a challenge. Um, that I needed to lose more weight and I see that now as my way of controlling again my environment because I felt so out of control so I started out with um, you know like not letting myself go to class if I hadn't lost a pound that day I wouldn't let myself go to class that day and I did that through either exercise or like making myself throw up and I'd always been a really high achiever had always made you know straight A's in high school and I'm sure in college, I'm sure I was getting behind because I didn't have the time management. I'd never been taught, you know, time management skills or really studying skills, things that always just come easy to me in high school. So I, I just, you know, one weekend I got really, really overwhelmed and probably had a test or a paper due or something and, um, you know, just called my mom and dad and said, I can't do this anymore. I think I need to go somewhere and told them I'd been making myself throw up. And so they took me to a hospital uh, psychiatric hospital, and they diagnosed me with bulimia and overexercise. And at the hospital, um, I got you know very a little bit of therapy, but it was mainly more the drug. They said that there was a new type of antidepressant called Prozac, um, and it had been out for like two years, and um, that's what they decided to put me on then. And I was on that for a little bit, maybe a year or two, but then I got off of it, and I you know didn't take anything else for another eleven years. But that was my first, you know, stint into mental illness and um, taking an antidepressant. And I look back on it now as really a missed opportunity because what it should have been was truly teaching me um, time management, uh, you know, good studying skills, um, ways to cope with uncomfortable feelings or anxiety like meditation, you know, taking a walk, good self-care, 
you know, diet stuff. And it just, you know, it, it, it really just all got shoveled and funneled into, you know, taking Prozac. That's what it all went down to. And so then what happens after that? You continue on. Does the medication help with you being able to cope? Does it help any at all? Or do you stay on the medication? No, I mean, I, I can only speak from my experience with medications, but I, will even just see the word Prozac or something now. And I just get very, almost kind of triggered because to me, those medications created an alternate reality for me. It is one that I had no control over my brains, my thoughts. It was a very, um, it, it's a really just eerie place to be. Um, it, it just, my reality completely shifted. It's like it, it put a veil over reality for me. And I, thought that's who I was. I thought that's what life was supposed to be like. Um, I just, I can't describe it. It's just a, it's just an alternate reality really. Um, and I, I didn't go back on the drugs until like 10 or 11 years later. And, and the reason for going back on then was I was pregnant and I, you know, experienced some significant trauma, um, in my marriage and in my relationship and, um, you know, very, very significant trauma and, um, you know, went to the OBGYN and again, I call this, you know, missed opportunity number two in that there was no counseling. There was no, um, you know, throwing some stress, you know, um, some meditation, things like that. It was, well, you were on Prozac, you know, 11 years ago. I think you need to be on something. Let's go on that. And I realize now it's, it's insane, Becky, because I was pregnant. And, you know, thank God my 16-year-old now is a beautiful kid. He's very smart. But, you know, luckily there was no damage done to him that we know of you know, for me being on those drugs, but then I went back, you know, that's when I went back on the drugs again. And again, it could have been um, avoided had somebody ever, you know, had I learned how to cope, stress management, you know, looking at my traumas, my wounds, my childhood wounds, things like that. And it just, you know, it, it never went that way. And I didn't know any better at the time. I just, you know, went back on the drugs. And so what happened in the lead up um, I believe then you started working with Dr. Kelly Brogan, Brogan, who's a holistic psychiatrist from the States as well. What happened in the lead up to that? Was it sort of like breaking point or had you reached breaking point before? Had you hit rock bottom numerous times? What sort of happened in the lead up to then working with Kelly? So it was a period of about 15 years. I mean, a long time that I was on and off his drugs. And um, there was one suicide attempt in 2005 um, and, uh, you know, psychiatric stay. And it was just on and off the drugs. And I never liked the way the drugs made me feel. So I would go off of them. I would not take them. But then I would get lots of shaming from the doctors because then I, you know, break down and I'd have to go, you know, see somebody again. And they would say, you can't stay on them. You have to stay on them. So there was a real commitment for probably like, six years to staying on the drugs. And I just got worse and worse. Uh, and in 2014 is when I really hit rock bottom um, and just really kind of almost became psychotic um, and, you know, just, just lost it. And I was, and then in 2015 is when that's what really precipitated me going to Dr. Brogan. 2015, I um, was taking Xanax. That's the only thing I was taking at the time. I was off all other drugs, but I was, getting by with Xanax. Again, a lot of stress in my family, lots of stuff going on at the time and coping by using Xanax. And um, I remember I, I dropped someone off somewhere and I had a Xanax in my pocket. And I remember thinking, this is my last Xanax. 
And I thought, you know, that's probably a good thing that I'm not going to take it anymore. I don't need it anymore. So I just, you know, was like, this is the last one I'm going to take. I had no idea of like a cold turkey Xanax withdrawal, how dangerous it is. Just completely ignorant of that. But I took that Friday night and Saturday morning, and I'm not a drinker at all. I was literally, I walked into the kitchen at 8.30 in the morning because I could not calm my body down. Um, and then the following week, for seven days, I slept like four hours uh, in seven days. Uh, it was by far the most horrific thing I've ever experienced in my entire life. We had no idea what was going on. I even had a family doctor come over to my house. I had you know, three or four friends over there every day. We couldn't figure out what was going on with me. Um, I, would, um, I was throwing up. I was having muscle contortions. Um, I was um, not sleeping, like I said. There was a man that was chasing me around my bedroom, um, clapping in my face all the time. You know, I was hallucinating, um, diarrhea. And so finally, after seven days, I said, you know, I need to go to the hospital because I'm going to have a heart attack. That's how much stress I was under. I was afraid I was going to have a heart attack. And once you've been, at least for me, and I think I speak for a lot of people, once you've been admitted to a psychiatric hospital, it is really, really degrading and embarrassing to have to go back in. Um, it is like the place that you want to avoid more than anything in the world because I'm sorry, you are shamed when you go in those places and you are told that you are flawed and that something is wrong with you. So for me to want to go back to the hospital, I was like, I, I thought I was going to die. I literally thought I was going to have a heart attack. So I went to the hospital and was in the ER and they were doing, um, you know, assessing me. And I remember telling the lady, I think I'm in Xanax withdrawal. I ran out of Xanax a week ago and that's what I think this is. And she literally like was like, how much are you on? And I, I wasn't on a lot. I will be honest. I wasn't on a lot, but I am, um, I am somebody that, Knowing my genetics now, I over-metabolize Xanax. So what was happening was every time I would take a Xanax, I was going into withdrawal within like, you know, three hours of taking it um, versus where somebody else, you know, can go eight or 10 hours on it and not feel the withdrawal from it. Um, so anyway, so I, you know, told the lady, I think I'm on Xanax withdrawal. And she basically literally like laughed at me and said, there's no way you're not on enough. So the next day I was admitted, or I was admitted that night, the next day the attending physician came in, a psychiatrist, and asked me some questions. He spent like 15 minutes with me and said, um, very, I mean, truly, I'm not exaggerating, do you like to ride roller coasters? Do you like to drive fast? You know, do you like to do dangerous, extreme sports, things like that? And I do stuff, like, I, I love stuff like that. And so I said, yes. And then, you know, he never asked me about my diet. He never asked, you know, never did any blood work on me. He never asked me about any of my traumas, what I'd been through. Um, didn't ask me about my family life, nothing like that. My relationships with people. He didn't ask me how much, you know, I went to the bathroom every day. No questions like that. It was literally, do you like to do this or that? And then he diagnosed me as bipolar. And so here I am sitting there in full throttle, cold turkey, Xanax withdrawal, and they proceed to dump six different drugs into my system on one day. Like they put me on six, six different drugs that day. And that's when the real madness started. That was like August of 2015. And I went, just got progressively worse. I stayed in that hospital 18 days. Um, and then we come around to the next April of 2016. And I go back in the hospital. And I, I asked to because I'm not bad again. I said, this is not right. So I'm, I'm going to kill myself. I'm very, very suicidal. I'm really, really scared. You know, something's not right here. So we go back into a different hospital. and. Um, they, they take me off those drugs and switch me to like four different ones um, all in one day. And so 
it was in that hospital that I made um, my last suicide attempts. And um, I um, basically sat there and, and would rip up bed sheets and cough while I was doing it. And then I tied like you know, made like a really long noose with it and threw it up over a railing on the window bolt ledge and jumped off the window ledge. And um, the bolt, you know, didn't hold, it broke, but it wasn't, it wasn't even like it was a, um, a cry for help or attention. I think when you try to kill yourself, when you're in a hospital, I think you really are like, I was ready to leave. And I remember when I was walking to the window um, to, you know, to do that, I looked over and I saw my dog um, like in the shower talking to me. I mean, I literally was that out of my mind by the drugs. It was insane. Um, and, and then obviously that suicide attempt failed, but they, um, you know, checked out of there and then starting, you know, was doing everything. I mean, this is where it became like a full-time job for me and my family to fix myself. It was, um, you know, EMDR, um, I was doing EFT, uh, you know, looking at just all these different modalities that we could use. And we were looking, we were actually, my husband at the time was actually looking for long-term care centers for me to go to because I couldn't be left alone at that time. And so then that's when I, you know, somebody, you know, God was in the picture then because the lady I was seeing in Kansas City had, within the last weeks, just read uh, Kelly Brogan's book, A Mind of Your Own. And she said, there's a doctor in New York City that I think you need to go see. Um, and so my husband and I, um, you know, made an appointment to go and see her and um, went into her office and sat down and she looked at me and um, she was the first doctor that I've ever met with that believed in me and she looked at me and spent like three hours with me talking to me asking about my childhood my diet you know things like that and then she basically said Allie you're not mentally ill um it's all these drugs that you've been on that have been doing this to you and that's you know that's what really liberated me began the liberation of myself from you know 15 to 20 years of just absolute hell on earth from these drugs that I was on and that like that just brings me to tears again when I hear that like I struggled with chronic anxiety for years and just this constant like what's wrong with me what's wrong with me like just obsessed you know like and I'd go to the doctor and they'd want to medicate me and you know and I was terrified of the medication and I, I was just like I'm just so scared that if I take this I'm going to be even less in control but like that's just what my life's going to be like because they're like you have you have generalized anxiety disorder you have anxiety it's who you are you know and and we do and we reach out and we go to the doctor because we're not feeling right and they tell us these things and we take it on and sometimes it can be like a relief like oh finally i know what's wrong with me but then it's like mm -hmm. this you're going you're just going to have to learn to cope with this we can't do anything about it or it's genetic you know if there's other people in our family who have experienced mental illness as well what's your thoughts around that i know you mentioned um, in another interview that I watched, listened to with Kelly Brogan, that your daughter was diagnosed with bipolar and was on the same medication as well. And she's now come off that too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, for us, it's, we look back and we just, it's like a joke to us. It's, it's really like a joke. I mean, they're selling marshmallows. It's um, we, um, my daughter was diagnosed with bipolar. Yeah. I mean, extreme anxiety she was under um, and she has been off. My whole family's pretty much been, doing my protocol now, you know, Kelly's protocol for two years now. So my daughter is completely off drugs. She I mean, has some anxiety, maybe a little bit around her period, but I mean, it's not even close to what she was on. And I mean like manageable, very manageable anxiety that we, you know, work through and she knows, you know, what to do. And so 
I mean, I, I'm a big believer, like Kelly is, in like epigenetics. I think you know you can have DNA and you can have certain tendencies, but you can also overcome those um, by your lifestyle and how you choose to live. Um, I don't, you know, I don't necessarily. I do believe that there can be trauma that can be passed down through your DNA, also, though. Yes. So I, you know, I, I just, um, I don't know. I mean, I believe that my story and my experience, as harrowing and as scary as it's been, is is happened for a reason for me to, you know, show people that there's a different way to live because I, I'm still kind of trying to process, um, all of the, I, I really call it abuse, um, that was done to me by all the doctors. And I don't think anybody did it intentionally. I'm not like that at all, but I, I really was told, I mean, point blank, um, you know, you are flawed. There is something wrong with you. You have mental illness. You will have it for the rest of your life. Um, you know, just accept it, accept that you will have to take this medication every single day. I mean, you won't always feel good on it. Um, so it was just, to me, it was a death stamp because, because even when I was on it, it was unbearable. I, I mean, I tried to kill myself. I couldn't handle being on it. So it was, you know, it, it was, um, like I said, it was the most terrifying experience of my life to be on these drugs for so many, for so many years, especially when I can compare it with how I feel now you're not having been on them for two years and how my mind is free and it's not altered. You know, my reality isn't altered anymore. I can see clearly what's, you know, going on around me and and I'm able to deal with it, you know, in a way better way. And so what's your journey of recovery been like over the past couple of years? What's, what's been involved? What on a daily basis, what does your life look like? What are the changes that you've made and what's been the most powerful things that you've implemented? Well, so when I talk to people and I help them, this is where um, I think I go in a different path than a lot of other people. Um, when, when I was in Kelly Brogan's office, she looked at me and she said, you have to change your diet today. And um, she told me, you know, I could not eat any, any sugar, gluten, dairy, and I've actually since added corn and I've added caffeine. So those are the things I don't eat. I don't eat any sugar, dairy, gluten, caffeine, or corn. Um, but she told me that in her office. And I walked out of her office and I changed my diet. And I had no idea what I was doing at the time. I, I didn't know. I mean, my husband and I went to a restaurant that night and we didn't know what to order. We were like trying to figure out what to order because we'd never done this before. So that's where I get, I'm very different than a lot of people that I, you know, that want to work with me or that ask me for help because people will call me and they'll be like, oh, I'm miserable and I don't know what to do. And I'm like, okay, here's what's the deal. And they're like, mm, but I love pasta. You know, I just can't do without it. Or, oh, I couldn't do without bread. And so I'm like, and, you know, keep feeling the way you're feeling. Yes. So I guess my point is I'm, I don't, I'm not playing around with this. I mean, I know how good I feel now. Um, and so my life looks like it's a hundred percent of the diet because I know if I, if I, I've had some, certainly I've had slip ups and my daughter and my family has slip ups, but we laugh about it now because we feel it. We feel the impact immediately. And we all feel it differently. Like if my son, my older son has gluten, um, he breaks out in a rash and he has diarrhea. My daughter-in-law, who is actually on like four different medications for lupus is on zero medications now. And if she um, eats gluten, she has you know, a lupus flare up. Um, so she'll feel it, you know, inflammation wise. Um, if I eat gluten, I'll get mentally, you know, kind of feel really out of it and, and, and get some major anxiety. So, um, but my, my daily life is, is surrounded by fitting self care into it. Minus, minus nutrition, and it's self, you know, self care is part of nutrition, but it's also a major part for me is detoxification. And that's something that I make sure I get in every single day. 
And what that would be is um, a coffee and a I do them every day. Um, I've had some people tell me that's stupid. It works for me. Um, I do skin brushing every day. I have an infrared sauna that I sit in. I do clay, not every day, but I do, you know, clay and mineral baths, you know, try to do those or Epsom salt or magnesium one to two times a week. Um, I have a rebounder, like a mini trampoline that I jump on to get my lymph system going. Um, and I you know, make sure I take a really good, like, psyllium husk or some type of laxative, you know, daily to get my, you know, bowels to clean out every day. Um, I drink, I only drink water. Occasionally I'll have, like, some sparkling water or some mineral water with a lime or something in it. Um, but I just, it's, I just honestly see nutrition as fuel in my body now. It's not fun for me. Um, and I'm to the point now too, where I don't drink alcohol at all. I've tried it and I wouldn't have a problem doing it. I don't think there's anything wrong with that if you do it in moderation, but it just doesn't work for me. Um, I just, I feel kind of groggy the next day and my mood isn't as, as you know, good and as balanced as it normally is. So again, that's just something I cut out, um, that I don't, you know, I don't mess with. The other thing I've really had to work on though, that's been kind of like an evolution for me, Becky, is just my past traumas and my wounds and what really caused me to go on the drug first place that had kind of been laying dormant there, you know, for all those years. And that's, again, the real tragedy when people go on these drugs is a lot of times, even if you're going in therapy, I, I mean, I will say, even if you're in therapy and you're on some type of an antidepressant, they're, they're masking your feelings, they're masking your thoughts, they're altering everything for you. So you're not really able to deal with it. And so the last two years for me, as I come off the drugs, has been spent really processing all of my traumas that I've gone through and looking at toxic relationships in my life and putting up boundaries um, and protecting myself, you know, from, from things in the past that I've let people walk all over me with, which impacted, you know, my health even um, was making me sick in that respect too. Because toxic people and toxic relationships can make you, you know, just as sick as toxic food and, and drugs can too. Absolutely. So, I couldn't agree with you more. And I, I agree about the diet. And I, I was diagnosed with an autoimmune disease uh, about two years ago now. And uh, the doctors wanted to remove my thyroid. So I was diagnosed with Graves' disease, so autoimmune that causes the thyroid to become overactive. And um, yep. they wanted to remove my thyroid, wanted me to go on this medication, all these sorts of things. And I was like, no, hold on a minute. Like, I need to find out why this has happened in the first place. And they told me it was genetic. There had been thyroid issues in my family with my mom, my sister, my aunt. And so that was just the diagnosis I was given. And I just started researching and understanding, especially with gluten and dairy, the effects that that has on everyone, not just if you're lactose intolerant, not just if you're celiac, every single person. And in six months, I completely reversed my autoimmune disease by cutting out gluten, cutting out dairy pretty much following like a paleo lifestyle uh, diet, which is very minimal sugar anyway, and completely reversed it and completely calmed my body down. And so many people have come to me as well and said, oh, what did you do? And I said, well, first of all, you need to cut these things out. And they're like, oh, but what would I do with that bread? What would I do with that pasta? Okay, well, I'm sorry. It's, it might sound a little bit harsh, but it's like keep taking the medication and keep living life, experiencing right. the symptoms that you have or you can take responsibility and also look at the attachment that you have to these things because there's an emotional attachment there as well. You know, what, sure. what is it like, what's the fear if you don't have that and work on that level as well. But at the end of the day, if you want, you can do it. We can do it. Our body is naturally designed to heal, regenerate completely and be whole, but we need to ensure that we allow it to be 
in the right environment, whether it's, you know, mind, emotionally, psychologically, what we put into our body as well and calm our body down, calm our mind down. And it's about approaching things holistically, but you have to do the work. It's, it's daunting and it's scary and it's a massive amount of responsibility, but it's the most empowering thing that we can do because then we soon realize, oh my God, like I have the ability to change my life. I'm actually in control and can control everything inside of me. And the more control we feel of what's going on inside, whether it be physically, um, emotionally, psychologically, the less we have the need to control things outside of us. Right. Well, I, I think you hit it on the head, Becky, with, you know, people come to me like we both talked about and they just don't want to change. And I think when you really almost knock on death's door like I did and you like you were close to that too, that's when you, you know, make the change because I, I didn't have a choice. I mean, I knew my only other option was I was going to die. I mean, my, my older kids had already said goodbye to me. I mean, we really you know, knew that I was on a, a downward spiral to dying. So I, I didn't have a choice and, and, and but to do what I did. Um, and so that's where people, I think, you know, your level of pain will determine, you know, whether or not you're willing to change. And, and it's, it's just frustrating to me because people call me, like you know, I think they call you, you said, and obviously you're a health coach, and, and they want this change so badly, but they're not willing to make the sacrifices, you know, for it. And so I just have a, you know, kind of a limited tolerance for that because, you spoke on about it a second ago. This is the most important point I want to make out is that you have to take control. You have to take your responsibility back for your life and you have to take it back from the doctors that have promised you all these things and from the drugs that you think are going to cure it for you. And you have to be the one to figure out and you have to take the responsibility to make your life better and to make your health better. You can't, um, you know, put it out there to a, give it out to a doctor or a pill to make you better, you have to be the one to make it better for yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And when the process that I go through with new coaching clients as well, after we're chatting for a while and I, so we can get a bit of an idea of what they're wanting to focus on, what they're wanting to achieve. And I say to them, how on a scale level of one to 10, how committed are you? Because unless you're 10 out of 10, I'm not, I'm, I don't work with anyone unless they're 10 out of 10 committed because you're not going to get the results that you want. There has to be that level of commitment there. And if that's where you are, I completely respect that. Um, and, and come back and see me You're more than welcome to when you are at 10 out of 10. But that's, that's what I want with people because I don't want to waste their time and I don't want to waste my time. But we have right, to absolutely. responsibility wholly and solely for our everything in our life. And you're so right about, trauma you know so many of my clients come to me and they're like i have anxiety or i have depression i have you know postnatal depression as well and they've been diagnosed with these things and that's that's just what they are but then it doesn't take long for us to start to peel back the layers and have a look and see what was going on in their life at the time trauma they'd experienced growing up different experiences things like that and it all starts to fall into place and then they're able right. to can process those things. And as you said, put healthy boundaries in place is so important. And that's such a daunting thing to do initially. But what that does for us is like a form of protection, you know, and that enables us to heal even more as well in a safe space that we create for ourselves. So important. Absolutely. I completely agree with Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I think just one thing I wanted to touch on as well before we finish, um, I guess, what 
the power of gratitude in allowing us to feel a sense of inner peace. I have a daily gratitude uh, group on Facebook where I encourage people to share just one thing if they feel comfortable um, that they feel grateful for that day. And I know that you mentioned um, when I was listening to your story before when you started to experience gratitude just in your daily life and the effect that that has, just how powerful that is for us. Mm -hmm. It is. I mean, I, I am a big believer because I, I'm a big believer in energy like you are and, and shifting and moving energy and, um, you know, giving off energy. And I know that, like, um, you know, fear um, and insecurity, those resonate at very, very low vibrational levels. And, and gratitude, I think, is one of those that resonates, you know, the highest, one of the highest vibrations there is. Um, and, and my point on that is that when you vibrate at a high level, you're going to attract. Um, you know, same energy. So if I'm vibrating at a very, very level and I'm in a pissy mood and I'm, I'm you know, not in a, gra a grateful mood, I'm going to attract more negative energy. But if I vibrate at a higher level and a, and a level of gratitude, I'm obviously going to bring more things in that are at a high, you know, higher vibration, which is only going to, you know, better my life and give me, you know, even more things to be grateful for. So, um, you know, I just love... To, I mean, I'm a big believer in nature. I, I have you know, a really large property, like 60 acres. I love to take my dogs on walks, you know, be in nature, be with animals, um, try to get out and socialize in the community. And, and that's a big deal for me, Becky, because there was a time where for probably four years, I couldn't leave my house. I mean, and I'm not exaggerating. Like, I did not leave my house. Um, so it's a big deal for me to be able to, you know, get out and, and be um, in community with other people. Um, and, you know, be, be out in public and, and uh, you know, meeting other people too. So the gratitude is a, is a huge thing because like I said, it just changes your vibration. It makes you vibrate higher. Absolutely. And it's an instant shift. It's instant. Absolutely. You, know, you feel that within yourself and it, yeah, it's so powerful. So what are your plans for the future with regards to paying it forward with your experience, everything that you've learned and helping other people? And also where can people find you? Facebook, Instagram, I'm trying to kind of shift everybody to Instagram if that's possible. I think I've got a lot of older followers on Facebook, um, but I am working to become a bulletproof health coach. And I'm also a health co coach for Kelly Brogan on her vital mind reset uh, program. I'm also in the process of working with someone to write my story, uh, make it a book to help other people. And that's the main thing is I just want my story to be one of hope because like I said, I've, you know, commit, tried to commit suicide so many times, multiple times and have just been, shoved down and demeaned and degraded by, you know, the psychiatric, um, you know, community. And it just was not true. And I'm, I still, you know, in processing that all the shame and guilt that I've taken on from all these doctors all these years. Um, but I'm, you know, breaking free from that. So and that's, those are the things I'm working on. And people can always reach out, um, you know, to me on, on Instagram, it's just Ali, A-L-I underscore Zek, Z-E-C-K or on Facebook and find me there too. And I'm happy to like answer, you know, questions here and there to people or, um, you know, visit with them and, and see if they have any, you know, quick questions for me. Um, but just my, my goal is, I mean, my mission, I know it's when you can find your life's purpose, as you know, it's, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing because I know now that all of this pain that I've gone through and the suffering that my, you know, my family and I have endured for so long. Um, there's a reason that I'm still here. And I know that reason is to help other people, um, you know, not go through the pain that I went through. Yeah. And that's, yeah, that just gives me goosebumps. And I completely agree when you find your passion and 
same with me. You know, I'd go through it all again, believe it or not, just to get yeah. to where I am now and to be able to help other people. And yeah, it's an incredible place to be. And it's such a sense of fulfillment and to be able to, I think that's our, our I think that at the end of the day, it's everyone's purpose on planet earth as a human being is to just help others in some way, you know? Yeah. And yeah, mm-hmm. it's just, it's incredible. One thing, one last question before we finish though, is what's one thing that we can do every day to be the best us possible? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, I think, you know, I think that's probably different for everybody. Um, I would say, and, and it also shifts. I mean, I would say that too, is it, it shifts. For me right now, like my best thing that I can do is structure. Um, I'm really trying to structure my days and, you know, get the most I can out of the day. And that means having a calendar, you know, making a list, whether it's, you know, on a piece of paper, on my notepad or on my phone, on my note section, you know, that I can check things off. And every time I can, you know, commit to something and then check it off, that builds my self-esteem. So for me right now, it's structure that's most important to me. But, but overall, I would have to go back to what we talked a few minutes ago about being grateful. Because once you are grateful and you really start to look for the good, instead of the bad that just opens up more good for you so i mean definitely it would be being grateful looking for the good in life yeah i couldn't agree more that's fantastic thank you so much ali i so appreciate your time today um and i just admire your strength and courage and determination um it it does like it, it gives me goosebumps and it just i just feel so touched by your story um you know and your journey of recovery and now how you're using your life to help others too. And thank God when people are in it, when we're in it, thank God that there's people like you out there that we can turn to, you know, for mentoring and help and just to be that lighthouse to guide us back home. And hope is such an important thing where we really are in the deepest, dark, darkest steps um, that we can get to, especially with mental illness and feeling so helpless. So thank you so much for the work that you're doing um, you really are a bright light shining in what at times can be an incredibly dark world. And I just admire you so much. So thank you so much for making time today to chat. Oh, you are very welcome, Becky. Thanks for asking me. How incredible was that? If you want to hear more episodes like this, please subscribe via iTunes and feel free to follow me on Facebook by searching Becky Taylor Transformational Coach. And that's spelled B-E-C-K-I-E or my website is beckytaylor.com. Have an amazing day. Keep shining bright, infinite love and gratitude.